listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. We're on our fourth week of our sermon series called He Had to Go There. The first week of this series was about the physical places Jesus had to go. He had to come here for us. He had to come here. He had to go to the cross. He had to go to the grave. He had to descend into Hades, and he had to ascend to the Father. So he had to go there. And, and then we begin to dive into some of the more shocking and polarizing statements and quotes that Jesus had to make, uh, things that went against society, um, things that sometimes you read them and you're like, I can't believe he just said that. And it, it's things that Jesus had to talk about. He had to go there. The second week of the series, we looked at the bold claim that we cannot ignore. Jesus said these words. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And it, I don't care. I, listen. I don't care what society says, there's only one way to heaven, there's only one way to the Father, and it's Jesus Christ. He said, no one comes to the Father except through me. Okay, so that's the only way. Last week, we looked at the offensive statement that Jesus made to the Syrophoenician Canaanite woman when he called her a dog. If this is your first time at DCC, or if you weren't here last week and you're like, he did what? I encourage you to go back and listen to last week's message. Maybe I can help you make sense of that a little bit, but there's no denying it. Jesus called that woman a dog. Um, he went there. And the, the big takeaway from this was don't be offended at what God has done. Somebody needs to hear this. Don't be offended at what God has done. Don't be offended at what God hasn't done. Don't be offended at what God said or what God didn't say. Don't be offended at what God allowed into your life, okay? Because how you respond can determine how and what you receive from God. And you have to ask yourself, am I going to let pride keep me from pursuing his promise? Or am I just going to keep pursuing God no matter what I have to go through, no matter what he has allowed in my life? God is greater. His ways are higher than mine, and I'm just going to trust him through this process. Amen? Today... We will continue with things Jesus did that didn't fit the status quo. Um, today, today's going to be a little bit different, and, and I want to prepare your hearts for it. Um, we're going to look at this instance where Jesus made a decision that even his closest followers didn't understand. They, they didn't get it. Uh, Jesus chose to, to be there in this, in this particular place, both physically and verbally, and it didn't make sense to a lot of people, and it certainly didn't make sense to those that knew him the best. They, they just didn't understand it. Which goes to show me, by the way, that the will of God can take you places that not everyone will understand. Listen, I'm pastoring in Newberry, Florida today. Not everybody understood. In my closest circle, some of my, my colleagues in ministry did not understand, why are you going to Newberry, Florida? Because God will take you places sometimes that not everybody will understand. It's not meant for them to understand, right? Uh, sometimes God will take you places that break the rules of conventionality. Sometimes um, it will go against the grain of your upbringing. It'll go against your DNA. It will transcend the logic of what you've always believed. And so some of you right now, some of the things you've held on to tightly, you need to check them at the door right now because... Um, what I'm about to talk to you about, it, it's, it's, it's a wide variety. Don't get locked in on, on one thing because I'm going to say some things and, you, and, and for some of you, it's going to catch you off guard. And I want to make sure that you understand this isn't just one single thing. We're talking about a wide spectrum here. 
okay? And so what, I, what, what God wants to do will sometimes break the barriers of race. Amen. I see it. Here we go. God, you asked me to do this. I'm going to do it. It will break the barriers of race. It will break the barriers of, of socioeconomic status. It will break the barriers of prejudices. And it will even break the barriers of religion. Sometimes what God wants to do will not make sense. And the will of God for your life doesn't have to make sense. At least not to you or any other human. Because I promise you, in his great plan, it makes sense to him. Our hearts and minds, they're full though. They're, they're crowded. They're, they're crowded with social media. Our, our hearts and minds are crowded with mainstream media. It, it, it's crowded with opinions, personal opinions. You know what they say about opinions, right? Yeah, they, you've all got them, you know, so there we go. And here's, here, let me, let me kind of break it down like this. For most of us over 40, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, I, I know better. But for most of us over 40, our minds are made up. Like we, we know, we know. Our worldview is determined usually by 40 years old. And so we, we know what we know and our hearts are, are hardened to change. We don't like change. How many of you know the older you get, the less you like change, right? We don't like change. Then there's a younger generation that can easily buy into anything. I mean, that, that's where we're at right now. Like, if somebody says it and, it and it sounds halfway decent, they're like, oh, yeah, I'm all in. I'm all in. That, that's that's the, 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 the fight that I want to be a part of. That's the stand that I want to take or that's the stand that we shouldn't take and I don't want to take it and I'm not going to stand for anything and, and it kind of an anything goes mentality. And, and both of those scenarios, the older and the younger in that, the, the, let me tell you, neither scenario is healthy. Neither scenario is healthy. Maybe, maybe this is why Solomon wrote Proverbs 4 and 23, where he said, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Solomon said, everything that you do flows from right here. So guard, guard this. Everything that we do flows from right here. Everything that we think flows from here. Everything that we say flows from here. Everything that we, we don't say, it flows from here. Everything that we do flows from here. Everything that we don't do flows from here. It all flows from the heart. Jesus said it like this in the New Testament. He, he said in Luke 6 and 45, he said, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil for out of the abundance of the heart. Hearing, hearing what Jesus says right here. He says, out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Have you ever been in that situation where the, the argument is heated? The conversation is intense. And in that moment, you said something that you wish that you would not have said. Like you actually thought, as soon as it came out of your mouth, you were like, oh, why did I say that? But now you've said it and you've got to stand by it. And, and you're just that hard-headed. Like, like, I know I'm wrong, but I'm, I'm, going to, I'm, I'm going to defend myself here. Or an hour later, as you just kind of break down the conversation and you start thinking it through in, in a cooler and, and calmer attitude, 
you think to yourself, man, why did I say that? Am I a moron? Why did did that come out of my mouth? Here's the reason why it comes out of your mouth is because it originated in the heart. Because Jesus said, whatever's going on right here is going to come out of here. Whatever's happening here has to have an outlet here. And last week, church, I know I barked pretty hard at, at our society that lives offended. And I'll stand by it. Listen, if you weren't here, you, you need to listen to that. But I, I'll stand by it. We, we live ready to be offended. People live in offense looking for the next opportunity to ridicule, the next opportunity to cancel somebody or something. That's, that's where society is at. And at the end of this message today, I'll probably be canceled. It, it probably happened. But on the opposite end of that spectrum are people who do and say things without thinking them through. You know somebody like that? Just point at them if they're... No, I'm just kidding. Don't point at them. Don't point at them. Um, it, people that, that, that they, it just comes to their mind, it comes out their mouth, and they're unwilling to see life through the eyes of someone else. And so it's just, and, and I don't know how else to say it, it's just ignorant speech that just comes out and they don't think it through and they're unwilling to curb their behavior because they've made it in life this far. So why change now? And, and one of the worst excuses I think any human being on the planet, and this can cover a wide variety of, of, uh, of, of decisions, a wide variety of, of stances, but one of the worst things someone can say is, God made me this way. God made me this way. No, listen, we were all born sinners, right? We're all born sinners. So if, 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 if you were created with a temper, it doesn't mean God doesn't want to curb that temper, okay? We were all born sinners, Everybody has issues when we come into this life that God wants to take into his hands and mold us into to becoming more like Christ Jesus. And, and what some people, when, they, when they're like if that mindset of I've made it this far in life, why change now? They're, they're unwilling to, to curb their behavior um, and, and, and because they don't understand that God is still working on them. Listen to me, church. Until the day I die, God wants to make me more like Jesus each and every day. And I'm going to be, I hope and pray that every step of the journey, he can tweak something within me. He can fix something within me. He can make me more like Christ. But I can assure you this side of glory, I will not be just like Jesus. But God wants to mold me into that. Now, in order to set this up today, um, uh, this, this is going to be strange and I, I've got to do it. It's, it's important, but I need to read a pretext before we get to our text. It sounds easier than it is. Uh, I'm going to start in Luke chapter 10. Okay, that's where I'm going to start, Luke chapter 10. But I need you to understand so that you will be patient with me. This is not my main text for today. This is not what I'm basing this sermon off of. Okay? This is a pretext. This is a conversation between Jesus and a teacher of the law. And I want us to read this because it's going to put in context where we're going to in the book of John in just a few moments. That really, honestly, is the basis of this entire series and what got got my mind uh, uh, sparked with this topic, okay? So let's let's dive into this, this conversation. In Luke chapter 10, there's this religious leader, a teacher of the law, that he asked Jesus, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Sounds like a fair question, right? What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? The problem with this question was he didn't really want to know 
He was using it to test Jesus. He, wanted, he was trying to set him up. They're looking for a reason to call him blasphemous, and, and they're looking for a reason to, to kill him, to crucify him. And so he's trying to set Jesus up. And so he asked Jesus, what do you have to do? What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus asked him a question back, which is what, how rabbis taught. They would, they would answer a question with a question. And, and Jesus said, what does the law say? What does the law of Moses say? What does it say? And this, this guy, this, this teacher of the law, he answers Jesus with, with his own ammunition. Like he had probably heard Jesus say this before because he answered and he condenses the, the Ten Commandments down to two, and, and which is exactly how Jesus answered this question in Matthew chapter 22. So he answers Jesus with his own words. So Luke chapter 10, verse 25 um, let's, uh, yeah, let's start at 25. It says, one day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. There's the first. He condense, condenses the first four commandments down to one. And then I love, uh, and, and then he says, and love your neighbor as yourself. So he takes the, the next six commandments that deal with, with man's relationship to God, and he condenses them down to one. And, and, and the man, it's, verse 29 says, the man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Let's pause right there. Okay? He answers Jesus with his, his, his own answer. Love God, love people. And then he says, but who is my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? Apparently, this man felt pretty good about his chances. Because it, it, it seems like he had been nice to someone. Somewhere along the way, he had been nice to someone. Who that someone was was probably in question. And in an effort to justify his, his limited circle of friends that, get this, they look like him, they act like him, they believe like him, they vote like him. He asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? If I've got to love God and I've got to love my neighbor, who, who's my neighbor, Jesus? And Jesus beautifully responds with this parable about a good Samaritan. You know it. Many of you know it. You were raised on it. For those of you that don't, let me share this parable with you. Listen close to how Jesus answered this man, who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with a story, verse 30. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there. But he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed over the, the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. I love what Jesus says here in 36. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits, Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. 
Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. This was a hard ask. Let me explain it to you. Jesus was a masterful storyteller. This is a parable. This isn't actually happening. He is, is, is making up this scenario, making up this story in order to explain heavenly principles. And so this, to answer this man's question, who is my neighbor? He begins telling him this story that we just read, this parable that we just read. And he starts the parable off in the most relatable way. Because the first character in this parable that, that he introduced was a Jewish man. It was a Jewish man. And his Jewish audience, particularly this man who was a teacher of the law, this expert in Jewish law, they could relate. If you want to speak to a group of people, then immediately introduce them in the story to someone that looks like them. And so he said, it's a Jewish man. There was a Jewish man. Next, Jesus shares the location. The location of this parable would have been very familiar to his audience. Jesus sets the story uh, uh, on the 17-mile road between Jerusalem and Jericho. It's a road that they were familiar with. They can relate to this. So they can relate to the Jewish man. They can relate to to the familiarity of, of the surroundings. They knew this area. Now, Jerusalem was where the temple was located. And the priests and the Levites, they facilitated the worship services at the temple. That was their responsibility. It was their job. And serving in the temple meant that you lived there for an extended period of time. If you were on duty, if you were on call, then you would report to the temple and you would stay there until your time was up. Before you could go home, you would stay there for an extended period of time. This meant that they were spending the night at the temple. They were on call 24-7 at the temple. When they were not on duty, many of the priests and the Levites lived in Jericho. This would mean that they would have to travel this road between Jericho and Jerusalem. And so a priest and a a temple assistant traveling that road was not uncommon. They can relate to that. One particular stretch of this road was known as the way of blood. The way of blood. They knew that. Many people on this particular stretch were robbed and even killed on this road. And this was the scene that Jesus used for this parable. His listeners knew exactly what and where he was talking about. To, to win the hearts of his listener, Jesus is going to need to make the hero of the story Jewish. If you want to reach Jewish people, make sure that they understand the hero of the story is Jewish So the first person to pass by and see the victim was a Jewish priest. Rather than than get involved, he passed by on the other side of the road. Maybe, maybe it was a religious thing because according to the law, they could not perform any religious duties had they touched a dead body. There would be a ceremonial cleansing that would have to take place, that would take days. So maybe the priest avoids this man because he thinks he's already dead or close to death. And if he touches him, he will not be able to report for duty. Maybe it was just an inconvenience. Maybe he was just simply too busy to give a care, right? The next person to walk by was a Levite temple assistant. And we're not sure if this temple assistant was going to or coming from. We, we don't know if, if he's going to work or coming home from work. Whatever the case, this temple assistant did not have time to stop. They, they were either heading to work or home from work, too busy to care. Besides, if the priest doesn't care, 
Why should the temple assistant care? Don't miss it. If the priest doesn't care, why would anyone who works or serves under him care? If the priest doesn't show this as a passion in his life, why would the temple assistant show this as a passion in in their life? Church, understand that a lack of concern usually flows from the top down. Listen, I I know, it, it puts me on notice. This scrutinizes me. I understand that. A lack of concern usually flows from the top down. I'll be very vulnerable with you. It's kind of like our relationship with the Florida Women's Reception Center. I have been raised in church my entire life. I was born into a pastor's home. I have heard of prison ministry my entire life. It's biblical. I believe in it. It just wasn't my cup of tea. I have made the statement in the past, you, it takes a special person, you need to be called to prison ministry. But then we had somebody in our church by the name of Nicole that kept coming up to me saying, I need you to come preach to my girls. Her girls being inmates at the Florida Women's Reception Center. And she kept hounding me about this. She wouldn't leave me alone. I finally told Mandy, I said, I'm going to go preach one Thursday night. I'm going to go preach at the Florida Women's Reception Center just to shut her up. (laughs) Mandy and I and our daughter Kendall, Kendall went and took her guitar and, and, and led worship that night. From the moment we walked in the door, my heart began to melt. What I thought that I knew, what I, was, what I was steadfast on, God began doing a work in my heart. You want to know why it's such a priority to me right now? It's because I've been there, I've experienced it, and I know what God is doing. That night after I preached, 11 women gave their hearts to Jesus Christ that night, and God was working on me. And I knew the next week, I was like, we are going in there. That's, that, this is a passion for me. I knew that I would never be the same again. But, but understand this. It wasn't a passion for most of our church because if the pastor isn't passionate about it, then everyone keeps walking on the opposite side of the road. If the priest isn't worried about it, then the temple workers, the Levites, they're not going to be worried about it because it flows from the top down. But in this parable, Jesus said that both the priest and the Levite avoided this man like the plague and they passed by on the other side of the road. So with this Jewish crowd that was hanging on every word, Jesus does the unthinkable. Like, I can't believe that he does this. This this is strange. Why would he go there? Why would he say what he's about to say? He makes the Samaritan. The hero of the story. There's three Jews in the story. But he makes a Samaritan the hero of the story. And this is where Jesus loses them. Like they are not ready for this. They can relate to a Jewish man. They can relate to a location. They can relate that that there's a Jewish priest and, and and a temple worker traveling that road. They get all that. But how dare you make the Samaritan out to be the good guy? Because the term Good Samaritan would have been an oxymoron to a first century Jew. Like that doesn't exist. A Good Samaritan? It would be like us saying bitter sweet. What? What? It's bitter and sweet? 
Or, or, or maybe like controlled chaos. What is that? What does that even mean? Controlled chaos. Jumbo shrimp. Honest politician. Wait, what? Did I say that? Oh, it's going to get worse. Good Samaritan. Huh? To a Jew, the only good Samaritan was a dead Samaritan. There's no such thing as a good, breathing Samaritan. Here's why. In 721 BC, the northern kingdom of Israel was captured and conquered by the Assyrians. Many of the Jews were captured and taken captive to be slaves to the Assyrians. Some of the Jews were left behind in Israel to intermarry with Assyrian colonists and and rebuild the, the conquered cities. Those Jews adapted to and even began practicing the Assyrian culture and sadly, even their religious practices. Their offspring, understand, half Jew, half Assyrian. Their offspring became known as the Samaritans. And the Jews hated them. Hated them. Because Samaritans adhered to a form of Judaism that they believed stayed true to Israel's beliefs before the Babylonian captivity. And and it was preserved by those that stayed behind in the land and not exiled. They truly believed that that's what they were buying into. But the full-blooded Jews, much stronger in number, they were the majority. They held strong to rabbinical Judaism. What the rabbis were teaching. They even disagreed. The Jews and the uh, the Samaritans, they disagreed on where to worship God. Samaritans worshiped God at Mount Gerizim and and Jews worshiped God on the mountain in Jerusalem. They couldn't even agree on that. Understand that, that for the Samaritan, this was the worst form of discrimination as it was based on both race and religion. That, that's a double whammy. It's race and religion. The discrimination is coming at them from two different angles. It was based on skin tone and beliefs. So imagine the audience when Jesus tells them that the Samaritan is the one that got it right. That the hero of the story is a half-breed with skewed religion. Jesus, that's what Jesus did. He blows their minds and says that the, the hero of the story is the guy that's not pure, In their eyes, he's not pure, and he doesn't believe in God correctly. Like, his religion is skewed and messed up, and that's the one he picks to be the hero of the story. And the target audience for this parable were Jews, and particularly this one man that was an expert, well-versed in the law of Moses. And the last person that he would have picked to help a Jew was the very one that Jesus made out to be the hero of the story. So now, with all of that said, that's my intro. Let's go to our main text. You ready? It won't take long, I promise. Jesus didn't just talk a good game. He was the real deal. John chapter 4 is where we're going to be reading from. I need you to understand this. What Jesus just shared with that teacher of the law was a made-up parable. It was all talk. Jesus was teaching And so he made up the story in order to get their attention with with kingdom heavenly principles, okay? Jesus practiced what he preached. He wasn't all talk. 
And sometimes when there wasn't an audience around, he would do to the least of these what he would do for all. John chapter 4, starting with verse 1. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. Let's pause there just for a minute. This has nothing to do with this message today, but I think it's important for you to understand this. Jesus didn't baptize anyone. His disciples did. Like John the Baptist, his disciples are baptizing people, and and I think I know why. Can you imagine if it was the day of your baptism, and you're being baptized, and Bartholomew steps into the baptismal pool? One of the disciples, Bart, Bart is the one that takes you down under and brings you back up. He baptizes you. You go over to your friend and say, man, thanks for being here today. And he said, man, I'm so proud of you. I remember the day that I was baptized. Oh, really? Who baptized you? Well, Jesus. Man, can you imagine the strife between those two people? Like Bartholomew baptized me and you got Jesus? So Jesus has said, I ain't baptizing anyone. But listen, listen, don't worry. He later baptizes the entire church with the Holy Spirit and fire. And he's still baptizing with the Holy Spirit today, church. Don't you worry. Verse 3. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. Here it is. Here it is. This this is the series. He had to go through Samaria. Somebody say he had to go. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for, Jesus refused, for, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you're speaking to, you would ask me, And I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket. She said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship, while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshiped? Let's pause. We'll come back to this in just a moment. I really want to focus in on verse 4 here. Verse 4, it said, he had to go through Samaria. These are such important words for this story. For this encounter with Christ, these are so important. He, Jesus, had to go through Samaria. Oh, he went there. 
both verbally in a parable about a good Samaritan and physically when he traveled through Samaria. Samaria is located directly between Jerusalem and Galilee. This would have been the shortest route for Jesus and his disciples to take. It would have been the shortest route for anyone to take. But this was not a route that most Jews would have taken. Faithful feet would have never stepped foot on Samaritan soil. That's how much they hated these people. We don't want to see you. We don't want to encounter you. We don't want to touch anything that you have touched because they looked at them as as a dirty race. Have you ever noticed that some people will inconvenience themselves to avoid inconveniencing themselves? Some of you will get that faster than others. I understand that. Some people will inconvenience themselves to avoid inconveniencing themselves. I'll show you. They will take the long way just so that they can avoid the hard conversations. They will live life miserable so that they can avoid being inconvenienced and making someone else's life less miserable. Right? And it's usually done in the name of politics and religion. I know some of you are about to check out. I get it. I understand it. It's a hard issue. And you're going to have to take that up with God. Or you can email me, apetrush at destinycommunitychurch.org. We get so offended because they believe different than we do. And we forget that they are the very ones that we are called to reach. You see, your salvation isn't so that you can be put in this nice little jar and kept safe. Our salvation has a mandate to it, to go into all the world, to preach the good news of Jesus Christ, to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's the mandate that's on our lives. It's not so that we can receive salvation and be put up on this shelf and kept all pretty. That's not what it is at all. There's something about our salvation that he says, I want you to live this thing out. But, but, but we will be, become so offended by the very ones that we are trying to reach, that we're called to reach. The dislike for these Samaritan people was so strong that the Jews would inconvenience themselves and take a longer route just to avoid having contact with them. And it is in this racially charged atmosphere that Jesus insisted on going through Samaria, dragging his disciples with him, even though they were saying, we shouldn't do this, we don't want to do this. And he said, oh, we're going to do this. We're going there because he had to go there. Why? Because there is a woman who has been spiritually beaten up physically used and mentally abused that needs the help of Christ. She doesn't even know that she needs his help. You understand that the people we're called to reach, they don't even know that they need the help of Jesus Christ. They don't even know that they need the love of Jesus. This woman had no idea that she needed Jesus. But, and she's as shocked as the disciples are. Listen to verse 9. Listen to her response. This woman was surprised. For Jews refuse to have anything to do with Samaritans. It doesn't say the other way around. The Jews are the ones that have the problem here. Not necessarily the Samaritans. For Jews refuse to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? It blows her mind. Like, why are you talking to me? Some people have no idea that God is actively pursuing them. 
because of their, their DNA, because of their past, because of their worldview, because of their mistakes, whatever it is, even their opposition to the truth of who God is, they have no idea that God wants to go there to the deepest part of their heart and God wants to work on that. They have no clue. They, they, they don't understand that. He wants to go there. He wants, he wants their pain. He wants their sorrow. He wants their strife. He wants their unbelief. He wants all of their doubt. God, he's not scared by any of that. We are. We're terrified that someone has a different worldview than us. But God's not terrified by that. He wants to replace it. He wants to go to the deepest place of their hearts and replace all that hurt, all that strife, all that sorrow, all that anger, all that unbelief. And he wants to fill it with faith, hope, and love. He wants to fill their lives with that. Jesus had to go through Samaria to meet a Samaritan woman at a well at noon. This is important. At the noon hour, no one else is there. There's two observations. One, no one else is there. And two, it's noon. It's the hottest time of the day. I've been to Israel. I know it's hot at noon. And everyone else would, would walk to the well to retrieve water early in the morning or later in that evening, not when the scorching sun was directly overhead. But you see... This was a price she was willing to pay because she too was inconveniencing herself to avoid conversations because this woman had made some mistakes. She was the talk of the town. She had, count them, previous marriages. One, two, three, four, five. She made a divorce attorney very rich. She had five previous marriages. Now, I, I, I'm just looking from the outside looking in. Listen, I understand there's people in the room that have multiple marriages. I'm not knocking anyone, okay? I don't think I am. If you've been married five times, at some point, you're going to have to look in the mirror and go, maybe it's me. Maybe. Maybe I'm the one with the problem. Okay, I'm, let me move on. She had had five marriages. And the man that she was currently living with was not her husband. She went to the well at noon when no one else was there because she didn't want to face the ridicule. She didn't want to face the embarrassment. Just, just people looking down their nose at her. She, she didn't want to deal with any of that. It was just easier to go at noon when no one else was there. And she had no idea that Jesus was coming to give her a new life of grace, mercy, and forgiveness. Let's pick it up at verse 21. John 4 and 21. Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. Somebody, somebody in the room that's got a legalistic mindset, you've got to hear that right now. Understand, understand, there was concern over which mountain do we worship God from. Jesus said, woman, there's coming a time when it is not even going to matter whether you worship God on this mountain or in Jerusalem. It's not, it, it, he said, listen, let's, let's don't split hairs over this. There's coming a time when it's not even going to matter. I thank God that as much as I think I've got my theology figured out, and I do think it's better than when I first started this thing. I do. 
But as much as I think I have it figured out, I don't have it all figured out. I know that one day I'm going to get to heaven and I'm going to be like, oh, that's what that meant? Because I'm not God. His ways are higher. I don't understand all of this. I'm trying. I'm trying my best. But listen, some people will become so judgmental. They they will become so legalistic in their theology. And and, and Jesus looks at us and says, listen, you don't have it all figured out. And there's coming a day that none of that's going to matter. Woman, there's coming a time when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. Verse 22, you Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I love this. This is so innocent. I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. She's so innocent. She has no idea who she's talking to. She has no idea. And she says, I know that the Messiah is coming. The Christ is coming. And and, and when he comes, he's going to explain everything to us. And Jesus looks at her in verse 26 and says, Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. That one you've been longing for, the one you've been searching for, the one that you know can make all things right. He says, I am that guy. I'm the Messiah. Just then, the disciples came back. Isn't that the way it works? When all of a sudden, there's this great moment of revelation, and it's like this aha moment, and then there's this interruption. Like, you know, like you and your husband finally have that that dreaded discussion, and when you finally get to the bottom of it, and you're understanding each other, the kids barge right in. And you're like, right now? Really? Right? Why? It always happens at that great moment of revelation. Something is going to step in and disturb that moment. 27, just then, his disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman. Why? Because they're Jews. They're shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her, or why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone. She, like, it, she didn't even need that physical water anymore. Because now she had spiritual water bubbling up out of her. She left her water jar beside the well, ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. And if you know the end of this story, man, revival broke out there. And many of the Samaritans began to call on the name of Jesus Christ. They were finding salvation through their Messiah. Now listen to me. It's one thing to be kind and care for someone just like you. It's easy. It's easy to to, to look at someone and say, I want to bless you. I want to care for you. I I want to have a conversation with you. I want to buy you a cup of coffee. It's easy when they're just like you. That's what the teacher of the law did in, in Luke chapter 10. Who is my neighbor? I've been nice to quite a few people. Who's my neighbor? He was looking for this loophole in, in, in loving his neighbor, which, I mean, that's it, probably, a, he, some versions of the Bible say that instead of a teacher of the law, he was, he was a lawyer, teacher of the law. And that's probably what lawyers do best. They find the loopholes there, right? 
He was trying to find this loophole in loving his neighbor. Like, I've done that. Shouldn't I have eternal life? But it's a different kind of love, a, a Christ kind of love to care for someone that is different than you. Someone with a, a different skin tone. Why does that bother you so much? Listen to me. Why does that bother you? You can't ignore it. It's still an issue, and because America won't deal with it, because we will not confront some things, and especially the church, because we won't acknowledge some things, it keeps raising up its ugly head, and every so often we have to deal with this again. At some point, we're going to have to deal with it in a biblical way. I, I, I knew you were not going to amen me. I knew it. It's a hard issue is what it is. It's a hard issue. If you know me, you know I do not jump on the bandwagon of mainstream media. You know that. You know that I understand that there are some things that have been taken and, 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 and used to, to promote movements and, and everything else. I, I get it. I'm not blind to all that. But to understand that we have a, 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 a country that, that committed sin in the founding days of our nation and we've never dealt with that, I'm telling you, at some point, we've got to have some hard conversations about it. Three of us. It doesn't stop with that, though. Someone with a different mindset. They don't think the way that you think. Someone with a different belief system. They don't believe the way that you believe. I'm not saying that we compromise. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But why do we hate people so much that we won't even have conversations with them? How can we ever change their hearts and their minds if we hate them so much that we will not have a conversation? People with a different political agenda. It's easy to gravitate towards those who vote the same way that we do. But it's hard to have a loving and caring conversation with someone that does not vote the way that you do. Maybe it's a different worldview. Maybe they just see all things completely different than the way that you see them. And it's easier to just walk on the other side of the road and just avoid them and say, I don't, I don't really want to dig into that. That's, I don't think I, I, I want to deal with that. When Jesus said, now I'm going to step right over in the middle of it. I'm coming to Samaria. I've got to go there because there's a woman there that thinks different, believes different, acts different. She needs my love. She needs to know that I'm the Messiah. And she needs to find grace, mercy, forgiveness. She needs that for her life because everyone else is looking down upon her. And I'm what she needs. She needs me. What if they need us? It's what the Good Samaritan did. He got down off of his donkey. I'm going to use the word donkey because my wife would get angry at me if I said anything else. He got down off his donkey of pride. And he helped someone that was different from him. He inconvenienced himself to reach someone that didn't like him very much. Listen, if you want to change a life, care for someone that doesn't necessarily value what you value. 
Because here, here's what we're good at. And I, I know this is a hard message today. I know it is. He went there. I'm just telling you what he did. We're so good at seeing hurt, pain, and injustice. If there's one thing that our society has grown and matured in, we do see it now. We see hurt, pain, and and injustice. Listen, slavery will never be an issue in America again. It, It won't. Because we've gotten good at seeing hurt, pain, and injustice. But what we've got to get better at is responding to it. All the injustices. We've got to get better at responding to it. Because here's what we'll do. We'll wear the wristband for the cause. Like, there's no skin in the game, right? There's no investment. They're handing you the wristband for free. And we'll wear the wristband. We'll share and retweet an article in a heartbeat if it lines up with our values. Like, like we'll do that. If it's, a, if it's a good cause, yes, yes, share that article. Do it. We'll even change our social media profile picture in support because that always makes a difference, right? And I think I figured this out. We're good at being empathetic. And there's something to be said about that. We can feel others and their pain. And, and so we're, we're doing that. We're good at being empathetic. But church, we've got to become more than empathetic. We've got to become prophetic. Jesus walked into Samaria and met a woman at a well and he began to speak life into her. He wasn't leaving her in her sin. He wasn't leaving her in her despair. No, he walked up and he began speaking life because he knew that God had a a hope for her, that he had a future for her and he refused to leave her in the middle of all that. Maybe if we got past our empathy and we actually started doing something about it, we would have conversations with people that need the hope of Jesus Christ and we'd start looking at them and start declaring what God wants for their lives and over their lives and how much God loves them and how much of a future he has for them. It's time that we start speaking life back into spiritually dead things. They don't know that they're spiritually dead. You don't start the conversation that way. That's an argument. But you start building some kind of rapport. You find some common ground, as hard as it might be. And you allow yourself to be open to hear, but strong enough in your faith not to waver. And when the time comes, you can look at that person with love and care because you truly do love and care for them now. Because you see them as a soul and not an an, an opponent. And now you can look at them and you can help lead them and guide them into truth. We've got to do more than gripe, complain, repost, and retweet. We've got to get up off our donkey and do something. And and I want to be clear. I want to be clear. This is not just about race, but it is about race. It's not just about socioeconomic status, but it is about socioeconomic status. It's not just about politics, but it is about politics. It's not just about religion, but it is about religion. And it's time, church, that we go there with the love of Christ because he did. He went there not just verbally, but he also went there physically. 
I was reminded just, just in between services, I was just thinking, and I thought to myself of a moment in my own life where I had good intentions, good intentions. I was in a paintball field and in the woods playing paintball, I should say. And there was this little kid, not my son. My son was much younger, but he was the youngest of, of these brothers that went to my youth group. And he was just, just a little guy. His name was Caleb. And Caleb and I were the last two standing on our team. And we're behind this mound in the middle of the woods playing capture the flag. And we've, we've both got our, our paintball guns. And we're back to the, you know, we're laying there with our back to the hill. And I look at little Caleb. The other team, all of his brothers are on the other team. They want to light him up. And I remember I, I looked over at little Caleb and I said, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to sacrifice for you. I said, when, when I count to three, I'm going to stand up, jump on top of this hill, and I'm just going to start firing away. Caleb, you are fast. You are stealth. I want you to run as fast as you can. They're not going to hit you. They're going to be focused on me, and I want you to go capture that flag. Are you ready? Pastor Rocky, I'm ready. Can you do it, Caleb? I can do it. I promise you I can do it. Let's do this thing. One, two, three. Caleb jumps up, and I froze. They lit that boy up. He, he, had, he had welts all over him, bless his heart, and I never moved. I never moved. I, didn't, I, I could talk the game, but I couldn't live it. Jesus looked at a teacher of the law and said, here's, here's what we need to do. He could talk it. And then he went out and he lived it and he showed it. And it's time that the church respond and follow in the footsteps of Christ and let's, let's do the same thing don't avoid people and hard conversations instead let's start prophesying life back into them let me pray for us Father thank you for loving us through all of our imperfections and all of our prejudices and our likes and dislikes I think sometimes we, we think we know how you feel God, we need your help because we want to we reach those that are different from us. Christ did. It seems only right and appropriate that we too should love those that look different, act different, believe different, vote different. It just, it just feels like we need to get our focus off of worldly agendas and back onto the mandate that you've called us to. To go and make disciples. If they already believe that you were the Son of God, there would be no need to evangelize. There would be no need to have these conversations. But when they're different, teach us to love. Purge our prejudices. Teach us to love the way you loved us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. To learn more about DCC, including our service times and location, visit us at destinycommunitychurch.org.